Amen, amen. Let me tell you about my Jesus. We have much to say about him. I know the children are going to run off to Children's Church and hear Pastor Bradley. Well, he's sprinting, Pastor Bradley. Be careful. Uh, tell them about Jesus there. They've got a special guest there this morning. I don't know, maybe you heard him in Sunday school bleeding up and down the hallways. And, uh, and uh, so, praise God, we didn't have to bring our lambs today, but somebody did. And, uh, but Jesus is our great lamb. That gave his life for us. And we can talk about him this morning. If you have your copy of God's word. Turn with me to the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 3. As you're making your way there. For those that aren't aware. We're walking through God's word. And we're considering the attributes of God. We're studying who God is and what he's like. Because for you and for me to know who we truly are. And being made in his image. And him wanting to remake us. I won't know who I truly am. Until I see God for who he truly is. And so. It's in the light of his self-revelation and his word that we gain wisdom and understanding about who he is and what he's like and who we are and what we should be like. And so we're in Romans chapter 3. This is what the reformer Martin Luther said is the marrow of theology. There's some deep theological truths in these first in these little five, six verses that uh, Paul wrote in the book of Romans. And we celebrate them today. At Easter, when we realize all that Jesus has done for you and for me. We celebrate his work that he accomplished at Calvary, what we call Good Friday. And today's even a better day because sin he died for, death he paid the penalty, but he had victory over sin and the grave. And so he's a great and a glorious God. In a moment, we'll stand and read that. But as we study these attributes, we focus today on the righteousness of God. Now, we live in an age where the distinction between what is right and what is wrong is becoming increasingly blurred. Have you noticed that? That what God defined as right and wrong has been changed. And now we live in a day of moral relativism. Person to person, each one decides what they believe is morally right. And it depends on each situation, they tell us. Well, the result of that is what, some, what God says is morally right now is considered wrong. And what God defines as morally wrong, many think is right. And yet we're not blind to the fact that things aren't right in this world. Amen? In fact, I'll tell you what. Just look at your brother and sister and tell them you ain't right this morning. Amen? And then tell them, and neither am I. But God is right. That's what righteousness is all about. That our God is right. And His standards are right. And His standards are timeless. God's laws, God's righteousness is a reflection of His own righteous nature, of His holiness. And though mankind doesn't acknowledge it, mankind doesn't respect it, Mankind may not want to have anything to do with it. The truth is you can't change the righteous standard of God. This is one of the most prominent attributes that you will find all throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, the work that Jesus came to do at Calvary was to make sinners who are wrong right with God. Because we can't make ourselves right with God. God's righteousness is that intrinsic, immutable, moral perfection of God. From which he commands all things in heaven 
and on earth. And he declares as good whatever conforms to his righteousness and as evil that which deviates from his righteousness. And one day God will rightly reward or distribute retributive justice to any who violate his righteousness. Now those words are important. That definition is important for a reason. Look, he is intrinsically righteous in and of himself God is the standard for what is right and what is wrong. His law is a reflection of him, and he gives that. And just as God is unchanging, immutable, so too is his righteousness. Each and every day that you and I wake up, God does not change, nor does his standard change for us. And he is morally perfect. And he's the one who commands all things. In other words, listen, I know today we like to be our own law determiner. We want to determine what is right and what is wrong in our own eyes. In fact, did you know if I try to tell you today what God says might be wrong or immoral, that there's a culture, a cancel culture out there that wants to silence me because they think I'm wrong. And yet the reality is they don't get to define what's right and what's wrong. God does. And he commands all things in heaven and earth to measure up to his standard of righteousness. And one day, being righteous, God will do the right thing and he will distribute either rewards or retributive justice for those who have obeyed or surrendered to his righteousness or those who have not yielded to it, in fact, tried to create their own righteousness. Now, as we walk through all these attributes, I just want to give you a picture of how they interrelate. Because last week we saw that God is holy. He dwells in holiness on His holy hill. He speaks to us in His holy word. And His Holy Spirit dwells within every blood-born believer. But God's holiness means He's holy other. He's distinct and separate from us. And because He's holy, morally pure, we're not. That's why we said to one another, we ain't right. Because we're not. Here's the amazing thing. Because God is holy, he demonstrates his righteousness to you and to me. He tells us what is right and what is wrong. It's the plumb line, you might say. It's the plumb line by which we measure all things. And because God is right and, and measures what is right and tells us what is right and will do what is right, God can offer to you and to me mercy on one hand and grace on the other. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's really amazing. And only God, the holy God, can do that for sinful man because he is perfectly just or righteous in everything that he has done. And all of that combined is the expression of his love demonstrated at Calvary that we just celebrated on Good Friday. And his righteousness is interrelated or tied to all these things in that way. But you must start with the holiness of God to truly and properly understand the love of God that reaches towards us. If you try to go in the reverse order, what frequently happens by theologians who start with love and trying to work back to holiness is they don't get there. And that's the problem with our culture today and our theology today. Righteousness belongs to God alone. He and He alone is righteous in His essence. He's the right lawgiver. Now stop and think about that for a moment, men. 
None of us goes home and, and, and pulls out a bunch of different tape measures and rulers and says, well, this one says this is what 12 inches is, but this one's different. This is 12 inches, and, and here's another ruler that's 12 inches. No, 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 no. There's one standard that says what a foot is, 12 inches. It's the same way with God's law. There's not many standards. There's one standard, and God, in his righteousness, defines that for you and for me. And it's his law which manifests it or tells us what God's righteous standard is. And yet what's amazing is the righteousness that God possesses, and we don't, he offers to you and to me. In fact, that's the work of Christ at Calvary. We're going to read about it in just a moment in Romans chapter 3. That work is a work that God does on our behalf. And he offers to you and to me. If we'll recognize, listen, we can't make ourselves right. I need God to make me right. And he can make you and I right through faith in Jesus Christ. When we look at God's righteousness along with all these other attributes and you stop and you put them together, what you realize is this. Because God is immutable, unchanging, his moral perfection will never change. You and I will never wake up and wonder if God is right or wrong. He's always going to be right and his standard will always be right. Because you see, he's eternal, so he is righteous forever. And his working out his righteous plan. He doing it in the right way. In the just way. He he can do that because he's omniscient. He knows all things. And so he can always distribute his righteousness or his justice in a way that will be right because it's properly informed. And he's omnipotent which means he has the power to do his righteous will and bring that to pass. Now, Paul is going to explain, he's going to say that term over and over again. We're going to read it in just a moment as we stand to read Romans chapter 3. But he's going to mention this word righteousness, right, righteousness. He'll mention justin, justice. And all of these are the same root word, and they highlight for us the righteousness of God that we celebrate today. Because we know we were wrong, but through faith in Christ, we have been made right. And I pray you've been made right. And if you have it, there's an offer for any and everyone today to be made right with God because of what Christ has done. I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord as we hear God speak about his righteousness and what he has done to make man right with him. Paul writes Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. But now I circled that in my Bible because it's a transition point from chapters 1, 2, and 3. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely, that means being made right, Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier, the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, speak to us. Spirit of God, you're the teacher. And Lord, I pray we all have teachable hearts right now that your word might speak and we might hear and we who are wrong might be made right. And Jesus, for those of us that have already experienced that, we praise you today. We celebrate today that you made us right. May we have a word to share with the world around us because there's a lot of wrong out there. Jesus, only you can make it right. And we pray you would do that. And that God, you would show mercy to us and to our nation and you would turn us back to the right. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and you're the righteous king with a righteous scepter. And so we ask all these things today. In your powerful and precious name, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. We are desperate, in desperate need of righteousness. I told you to note there in verse verse 21, but now. But now, and why but now? You see, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has already laid out not a lot of righteousness, but a lot of unrighteousness. In fact, some self-righteousness, which is unrighteousness in God's eyes. In chapter 1, he highlights the Gentiles who don't worship the giver, the creator, but the one who, all the gifts, they worship all the created stuff that God has given us. And because of that depraved worship, God gives them over to depraved minds. And in their idolatry and their immorality, it grows worse and worse and worse. And God demonstrates that we are unrighteous Gentiles. And the Jews in chapter 2, though they might think that they are in a privileged status, actually in their self-righteousness are unrighteous. They're they're as bad off as the Gentiles are. In fact, here in chapter 3, from verse 9 through verse 18, Paul kind of summarizes it all up and says, listen, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside and have together become unprofitable. In fact, from head to toe, y'all, we're a mess. We ain't right, but God is. And we're desperately in need of the righteousness he possesses because we don't have it. Now, you would think, stop and think about this, as as Paul has laid out this argument and demonstrated that all of mankind is not right, that the next thing he would jump to would be God's judgment of sinners. But he doesn't do that, and praise God he doesn't do that, amen? He doesn't jump right to the judgment of sinners. Actually, what he focuses on is how God can justify sinners. That is, how God can make those who are wrong right. I'm so grateful for that. It reminds me that our God, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to that place called Chuck E. Cheese. I used to love that place. And they had this little game. I mean, there's a bunch of games and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you take your kids there on their birthday and whatnot. But they had this thing called whack-a-mole. Do you all remember whack-a-mole? And I love whack-a-mole because those little moles would come up out of the, the holes. And, and you just had that rubber mallet. And you just hit them when they pop up, right? And you get your, you get your tickets for every whack-a-mole, every one you hit. A lot of people think God is, is like that whack-a-sinner. Right? A sinner pops its head up. We're wrong. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And God just whacks us, whacks us, whacks us. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't just jump from all of us being desperately in need of God's righteousness to God judging us. What he does is he walks us through how God takes us in that deplorable condition and God does something about it. 
That's what we celebrate this weekend. That we had no hope. There was no fear of God in our eyes. We, we, we were, had nothing but destruction and misery in our ways. And yet God did something. But now he did it. In fact, what did he do? God did something. The righteous God who, listen, defines what is right. We clearly have done what is wrong. The God who does what is right, even when we don't. And the God who distributes what is right to those who recognize they're not right, but only God can make them right. And he'll distribute what is right to sinners who reject the offer, he says, that I can make you right. And how does he do that? Well, that's the whole chapter 4 and chapter 5, his justification, making us right. Right. Only God can make his right, us right. And Paul is going to argue he does that in the right way. And he has to do that in the right way. Because if he doesn't do it in the right way, then really he's not God. But God's work is right in all that he does. And he reveals this. He noticed this. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. You see, the law, God defines what is right. It reflects him. When Moses brought those tablets down, that holy standard that God gave was a reflection of his holiness expressed in what is right and what is wrong. Now Paul would say that what was written on tablets is written on the conscience of man. We we kind of know there's certain things in culture well, at least around the world, maybe not in America right now, that certain things are right and wrong. Amen? We could wake up to this today in our culture. It would be really helpful. All right? And church, that's your responsibility and my responsibility to be salt and light and stand for what God says is right and what is against what is wrong, even when the culture doesn't want to acknowledge it. That's our responsibility as the pillar for the truth. But God has revealed his righteousness that comes apart from the law. You see, the law, what the law revealed is, listen, if you want to be righteous like God, you must keep every commandment. You can't miss one. You mess up one, you're guilty. In fact, God said, you and I think we can behave and be good enough. The truth is, you and I will never arrive there. We can't because we're fallen. But there's another righteousness that is found in the Old Testament that isn't achieved, but it's received. It comes by faith. It comes by believing. And that righteousness is attested in both the law and the prophets. The, The first picture of it, of course, is found there in the Garden of Eden where God demonstrates, Adam and Eve, I'm going to make a provision In fact, because of this serpent and what he has done, he's going to be cursed. And I'm ultimately going to crush his head, even though he will bite the seed's heel. And it'll appear that he is one. But through that work, I can make men right. And that's Calvary. It's what Jesus did for you and me. It's why we gather this morning. You go all throughout the book of Exodus and you see the picture there of a Passover lamb that was offered as a temporary covering for God's people so that they could be under the blood and be safe from the angel, the death angel that would come. You see the the serpent that Moses put on a, a bronze snake 
on a pole. And, and, and those who, who recognize, listen, I'm being bitten by these serpents and I'm, sin, I'm in sin, could look to that bronze serpent on a pole and be healed. The Psalms also highlight this promised seed that would bring redemption. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, even Isaiah writing a song over in Isaiah 53. A song about God's suffering servant who would come and he alone can make us right with God. We're not righteous, amen? But God is. And God has revealed that there is the standard we must meet, but we don't. But we can be made righteous. How? was Paul would say in Romans chapter 1. What Habakkuk says over in chapter 2 of Habakkuk. That the just shall live by faith. In fact, who did live by faith? Well, Romans chapter 4 says, Father Abraham. He was justified, made right with God through faith. In other words, today, listen. Righteousness is not something you and I achieve it's something that we receive. It's God's to give to us because we don't have it. But it only comes through faith. God graciously gives that to us through faith. And Paul emphasizes that. Now notice this. This righteousness of God that's apart from the law, it's not achieved. It's given a different way. It's been revealed through the law and the prophets. It's the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, here's the amazing thing. Who has access to it? That's the next section. This is to all and on all who believe. Man, that's good news this morning. Amen. You and I, who we just told each other, you ain't right. You're wrong. Listen to this. God can make us right this morning. If you've never been made right and you're willing to acknowledge, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, and I'm undone. The amazing thing is, this righteousness is to all and on all who believe. That faith is the key instrument there. That's how we are made right with God. Again, I don't achieve it, I receive it. How do I receive it? It's a free gift. We are saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Not, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God gives that to you and to me as a free gift. And it's available to all. Hey, you want it this morning? It's right here. God is extending a nail-pierced hand towards you and to me and says, I have a free gift. I will make you right with me because of what my son has done on your behalf. Woo! Praise God this morning. Now, that's going to be really important in just a moment when we realize the significance of not only Jesus' death, but his burial and his resurrection. We can be made right and access is available and it's needed to, by all because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, listen, when he says that verse there, there's no distinction. We're all guilty, y'all. We all have sinned. In the Greek, it's the perfect tense, which means there's something that happened in the past that has a lot continuing impact on our lives. We all have sinned. The idea there is there was a boundary. Who sets the boundaries? The righteous God. He defines what's right and wrong. And he says, if you cross over this line, you're guilty. And we did. We transgressed. We, we trespassed the boundary. 
and we were wrong. We committed sins, sins of commission. We committed acts that were not honoring to the Lord and didn't respect the lawgiver. But not only that, we are continually falling short. The idea there is actually, it's a present active indicative. It's a, it's a verse that's saying over and over again, I keep falling short. I keep falling short. Short of what? The perfect standard of God. There's a target, and imagine in the center it says, the perfect righteousness of God. And you and I with our arrows, as hard as we try, our arrows just kind of fall short all the time. I mean, can we be honest this morning? Raise your hand this morning. Anybody perfect? Anybody getting it right all day? Now, don't answer for your spouse, okay? All right? Amen? We don't get it right every day. We fall short of God's glory. We have committed sins of committed sins we have transgressed but we are continually falling short is there any hope for us yes there's access to God's righteousness for you and for me who recognize that we are wrong and only he can make us right and we're all in desperate need of that and God says hey it's available it's available to all on all if you'll believe there's no distinction you need to believe today. I need to believe today. That's the argument of the little Katina from verse 10 down through verse 18. Y'all, from head to toe, we're messed up. It's called sin. And, and, and we all. And by, by the way, our children got it on us from their parents, and so did we. All the way back to Adam and Eve. And the only hope for us is the second Adam, Jesus Christ, because he's the source of righteousness. Remember, righteousness belongs with God. And in his holiness, he expresses that righteous standard to us. And now he offers the righteousness that he possesses to you and me who are unrighteous. He's the source of it and he wants to give it to us. Well, how does he give it to us if we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? It's beautiful, verse 24. We are justified, or that means we are made right freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're willing today to acknowledge, I'm wrong, but I want to be made right. You can be made right because God will make you right freely through his grace and through your faith in what Jesus has done. Now, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's his death. When Jesus died on the cross, something happened that benefits you and benefits me and benefits any and all who will call on the Lord to save them from their sins. You see, again, none of us could live up to the standard of righteousness that God demands. We have sinned and we are continually falling short, missing the mark. When Jesus came, listen, he lived the perfect life that none of us could. 33 years, he never sinned. He never fell short. He always did the will of his Father. Amazing. And he had to because he has to demonstrate that he has the righteousness and that he's the unblemished lamb that would die for us. And then an exchange is going to be available to you and me. And when he went to the cross, there he was the propitiation for our sins. In other words, a righteous God cannot wink at sin. The penalty for sin must be paid. And when Christ died on the cross, there was the law said that any sinner, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely 
die. That's the wages of sin. It's death. Somebody has to pay that penalty. You can pay it or someone can pay it for you. That's what we celebrate this weekend. Amen. Jesus lived the perfect life I couldn't, the righteous life. And on the cross, he died for my unrighteousness. All those things that that are wrong that I did, my sin. Jesus met the righteous requirement of God there on the cross. And he took the full wrath of God for you and for me. He drank every last drop. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Three times he prayed, Father, can this cup pass from me? And God said, no. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That cup was the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus drank it for you and for me for our sins. And on that cross, he met the requirement that God had. And he was the propitiation through his blood. When Jesus, that lamb that takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist would say, when he died on that cross and he cried out, Tetelestai, in the Greek that means it is finished and is finished forever. Praise God this morning, no other sacrifice is needed. I mean, it was precious to bring a little lamb today and talk to the children and explain to them in children's church and Sunday school about what that lamb of God means for you and for me this morning. But we didn't have to bring a lamb this morning. Aren't you grateful? No, no, no. That sacrifice has already been paid. That sacrifice has already met the, the requirement of God. Jesus died in my place. And when you and I realize what he has done, God has demonstrated his righteousness in that. He has met his own standard. And now Jesus offers redemption to any and all who will call on him. Now, this word for redemption is a beautiful picture because what it says is you and I were in such desperate conditions. We were slaves to sin. Somebody needed to unshackle us and take those chains off of us because in our flesh, our inclination was to sin because we were fallen creatures. We had sin and we were going to continue to sin. But when Christ comes, he brings us redemption through his blood. That means he unshackles us. And what Paul says over in Romans chapter 6 is now we've been set free. We're no longer slaves of sin. But now we willingly choose to be a slave of righteousness, which leads to holiness. I mean, if you're a believer this morning, listen, one of the greatest uh, evidences in your life that you're authentic and genuine is that, you know what, you want to do what's right. Even though you and I don't possess the ability to do what's right in our own strength, we need the Spirit of God within us. The truth is, do I present myself as a slave to righteousness? In other words, listen, if you can go do wrong and just let it, oh, it doesn't bother you a bit, and you just keep on doing wrong, doing wrong, doing wrong, and you never really are convicted about it, probably not a believer. Because those who are authentic believers realize, I once was that way, I don't want to be that way anymore. Why? Because God has saved me. And now Paul would say sanctification, being made right daily, what we're doing. Yes, positionally in Christ we've been made right, but there's a desire within our heart now in gratitude. Grateful for what Christ has done. That I present myself as a slave of righteousness. I want to do what's right. And I can only do what's right because the Spirit of God has come now to dwell within me. And even when I do what's wrong, what I realize is this. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And those who walk in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. And nothing will separate me from God's great love. Jesus has met as God's source of righteousness. He has done everything in a right way. And in order for that to happen, now God can justify us rightly. God can be right in making us right. You see, in verse 26, it says this. God did this to demonstrate at this time his righteousness, that he might be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ or in Jesus. Now, if you back up to the phrase right before this at the end of verse 25, it says that God in his forbearance passed over the sins that were previously committed so that at the present time he could demonstrate his righteousness. In other words, listen, before Jesus died, what did God do about all those sinners? What did God do about all those sins? What God did something in the past. And what God did in the past was he, he, he in his forbearance, he, he passed over those sins, but he made a provision. When God's people sinned, they had to bring a sacrifice. A lamb, a bull, a heifer, right? They had to bring a goat. They, on Yom Kippur, they had a, an atonement, a sin offering for all of God's people. And so you can imagine, let's just say, every day you had the uh, Jerusalem Post. And that scroll was the news for the day. And on that scroll you would read, well, let's be honest, the news often reports all the things that are wrong. So you would ring all the wrong things that people had done. And, and as they came and confessed their sins with the sacrifice, God allowed a temporary covering from the blood of a, a goat or a bull or a lamb. You get the next, next day's Jerusalem Post, and you'd open it up and read again the sins of all the bad things that have happened. The media loves that, right? That's how they make money. And so that would be recorded. And yet God would allow a, a provisional sacrifice. None of those sacrifices, day after day, the paper, the sacrifice, the paper, the sacrifice for that confessed sin, the paper, the sacrifice, Yom Kippur. And you can just imagine... All those scrolls, that paper just stacking up. And God patiently, in his forbearance, allowed that to happen with a temporary covering. But here is the question. Can the blood of bulls and goats wash away our sin? I mean, they're just dumb creatures. I mean, they're not even, they didn't even choose. They don't even choose. They react. You and I choose to sin against God. It's part of our will, our rebellion against him. Could, could they really offer a, a, a sacrifice that would be sufficient? No. But at the present time, Paul's saying, God took care of that. In the past, he patiently waited in his forbearance for the one sacrifice that would come. And through that blood shed, Jesus at Calvary, the Passover lamb, through his shed blood, all of those sins, God would just say, and blow them away. Everything would be paid for. What an amazing God. And he has demonstrated, God in doing this, that not only is he a righteous God, not only does he have a righteous standard, not only has he done things in the right way, he can now make us right because he can be both just and justifier for those who are, made, those who are wrong, sinners, and we can be made right. Why? God has integrity. God must be consistent with who he is. 
And so he satisfied that righteous requirement because Jesus, who was born of a woman, born under the law, kept all the law in all points and never failed. And he offered the perfect sacrifice that God required to pay the penalty in full. So God is just in offering his son a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Praise God. He now is not just just in doing that. He can justify us and treat you and treat me just as if we've never sinned. Praise God. And this isn't just something we celebrate just on Easter. It's something the Christian celebrates each and every day. I'm made right, not because I behave right, but because I believe right. And I am made right by God's grace through faith in the sacrifice Jesus has offered in my place. The amazing thing, my sin, not the part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You see, that's what is so beautiful about the gospel. That it's not just the death that Jesus died. When he was buried, he took and he buried all of our sin. Beloved, we have no right to dredge that up and bring it back up and carry it around. And, and to carry it on our shoulders or to live guilty. In fact, that's something about this whole SSA, same-sex attraction, and all the gay Christians that they're trying to force now on the church today. Do you realize today that that, that does not highlight what Christ has done at the cross? And at the grave, it's carrying that and saying, oh, look at me, if they're really authentically saved. And they're not. Because we don't parade our sin. It's been buried. It's died on the cross. And now we're not a particular type of Christian. No, we're a blood-bought, born-again believer. That's why Paul would say to the Corinthians, such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been made clean. How can you parade that stuff and say, no, you have to accept me and I'm, I still can be this way? No, that's not authentic Christianity. I'm sorry, cancel culture is going to come in and tell me I'm wrong. But I know what God says is right. You see, the death and the burial and then the resurrection is the newness in life that Christ offers all who will believe on him. And beloved, we live in a newness of life because he took you and took me who were dead in our trespasses and sin and has made us supporting, according to what he wrote to the Corinthians, new creations. We are new, praise God. In fact, what's amazing, what an amazing trait that you and I, can exchange our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Why? Because God made him who knew no sin, sin for us, so that we could be made the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. I mean, it's amazing. God would offer that to you and to me. And he does that this morning. If you've never taken him up on that offer, it's amazing. It's the righteousness is to all, for all, anyone who will believe, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. If God's spirit convicts me this morning to realize, God have mercy on me, I'm unrighteous. I've thought bad things, said bad things, done bad things. Or I've tried to be good enough and I've got self-righteousness, which is pride and not acceptable for God. Those things can't make me right with him. Only one thing will. God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I see Jesus who died and paid the penalty for my sin. And I want to put my trust in him. I want to put my faith in his sacrifice. And see, God doesn't force anyone to do that. But whosoever will put their faith in him can be saved. Now, do you know something this morning? Do you realize this morning the devil believes Jesus is the Son of God? The devil believes Jesus died on the cross. The devil believes Jesus rode from the dead. But the devil ain't saved, y'all. But he believes. You see, listen, belief is not just knowing some truth in my head. It's transferring my trust from me saving myself to Jesus saving me. When you came in this morning, um, you all came in and you chose a pew to sit in. Now, before you took a seat, you had to exercise faith in that pew. And for some reason, people don't think the pews in the front really will, will hold them up. But we're working on that. You chose to sit in that pew. And you put faith in it that it wouldn't crumble and fall apart. It's the same way with Jesus. Transferring your trust. God, I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus can save me. And there needs to be that moment in your life where you and I no longer trust in our ability to behave right or be good enough or make ourselves right. But we cry out, God, have mercy on me. You make me right. It is a righteousness not achieved, but received. Have you received it this morning? It comes by God's grace through faith. And you have to say, I want it. It's a free gift. You're not going to reach in your pocket and say, God, I owe you something for this because you can't pay what it costs. Jesus already did that. You and I can't say, well, let me add a little bit to what Jesus did. No, if you think that's true, he died in vain. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's the righteousness that he possesses that he wants to give to you and to me. We have no hope, beloved, if he didn't accomplish all of this that we celebrated Easter. But because he did, we have hope each and every day. Now, I hope you have that hope this morning. If you don't, then we'd love to talk to you about that. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head for just a moment and, and, and to close your eyes and be honest with God and, and just ask a simple question this morning. Am I right with God? The God who alone is right? H have I been made right with God through faith in his son, Jesus, who came to make us right with him. And if the answer to that question is no. I'm not right with God. And I realize that this morning. And God's spirit has convicted me. I realize I'm trusting in myself to be good enough. But I realize I need to trust in Jesus. And put my faith in him. If you've never done that. I'd love for you to come and just grab the hand of a pastor this morning. We're not going to stand. We're not going to sing. But our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're being honest with God this morning. Is it true? I once was wrong, but now I'm ready to be made right with Him through Jesus. Perhaps you're a believer this morning. You've done that. You've made that profession of faith, but you, you're not a part of a local body of believers. And God has led you here to South River Baptist Church. And you realize, you know what? I need to join this church and I need to help take this message to a world around us that's really wrong. Because only Jesus can make it right. And so maybe this morning God has led you here and you need to lock arms with us. This is the time as well when you can come 
and, and express your desire to be a part of this church family. Or maybe you're just burdened for our nation and you want to pray here on the altar because we see how what is right is being called wrong. And what is wrong in God's eyes is being called right. And our nation is in a mess. And church, we've got to pray more earnestly and be more engaged with the culture calling out these things. So maybe we just need to pray for some spiritual fortitude, a spiritual spine to speak the truth in love and to represent our righteous God faithfully in our generation. This is the opportunity and invitation for you to respond as God's Spirit has spoken to you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're waiting for just a moment. If there's anyone who needs to make a decision today, whether that's to join the church, to become a part of this family of faith, become a part of the family of God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's one decision you'll never regret. To know that all of your sins are paid for and you don't have to carry that around with guilt anymore. Praise God for that today. If you're a believer this morning, as our heads are bowed, just praise God for that today. That you know that's true. Give thanks for Jesus who made us right through his blood. And ask that you and I might daily present ourselves as slaves under righteousness, which leads to holiness. And that we might faithfully represent the righteous God.